you do not have an outline of the uh, sharing today and the sermon, please raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure that you have one. Uh, I want to read the scripture that we have selected for us today. It's found in St. John, as I said, chapter 4, and it's also found in St. Matthew chapter 9. Reading, first of all, if you will, from St. John chapter 4, verse 35 through 38. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And then we're turning to the book of St. Matthew, chapter 9, reading verses 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Father, we ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts today. May the seed of your word fall on good ground. In Christ's name, amen. Some time ago in the Peanuts comic strip, As Lucy Linus and Charlie Brown looked up to the sky, Lucy said, You can see lots of things in the clouds. Then turning to her companion, she asked, What do you see, Linus? Well, he said, those clouds up there look to me like the map of Belize, the little nation in the Caribbean. Glancing in a different direction, that cloud looks like a little profile of Thomas Eakins the famous painter and sculptor. And that cloud formation over there gives me the impression of the stoning of Stephen. Well, I can see the see Saul of Tarsus standing to one side. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Lucy. That's good. And what do you see, Charlie Brown? <coughs> Clearing his throat. Oh, I was going to say I see a ducky and a horsey, but I've changed my mind. Now, I read that yesterday, and I, I laughed. I, I sat in my office, and I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. I took it home, and I said, Carol, I want you to see. I want you to listen to something. And I couldn't get it out because I just laughed so much about that little story. It, it just, it blessed me. <laughs> and so I hope you enjoyed that. But anyway, the, the reason I read that is because... You know, Linus could see all of these things in the cloud, but Charlie Brown, he couldn't see hardly any of that, so he, he wasn't going to say anything. And uh, as you notice that uh, I mentioned after expressing his own regard to the work that was given to him, our Savior stimulates his disciples to similar zeal. The people were ready to hear if only the gospel were delivered unto him. But if you read this fourth chapter of the book of St. John, you find out that the uh, disciples were oblivious to the spiritual things 
that went on around them. They couldn't see all the things in the clouds that Linus saw. They could see just horses and duckies, and so they didn't say anything, or they talked about the the, the natural things. But Jesus, first of all, and the disciples, I'm going to tell this story how, and it's, it's so important that we understand this beautiful story that Jesus and his disciples were going to Galilee. On the way to Galilee, they went through a town, city called Samaria, or went to Samaria. Jesus and his disciples stopped there. The Lord was tired, so he sits down on the well of Jacob's well to rest. The disciples go into the city to buy food. During that time, a Samaritan woman came out from the village to uh, get water with a water jar, and there Jesus began to talk to her, and they had this great conversation. Some of the greatest truths in the Bible are found in this fourth chapter and the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. And, of course, most of us know the story. Most of us know the Scripture. How did he speak for her to give him water? And he speaks to her about he would give her water, living water that would spring up life everlasting. And, uh, of course, she had with this encounter with Jesus Christ, she changed her life, and she was revolutionized. She was transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. She runs off from him, leaves her water pot, and she goes down into the village, and she's telling everyone, come see a man that's told me all things that I have ever done. During the meantime, while this lady was gone, uh, the disciples came back, and uh, the disciples returned and are amazed. Notice your notes, that Jesus would be speaking to such a person. They urged him, to, urged him to eat something. But Jesus said something that's so important. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. He said to his disciples, I have meat or food that you know not of. They didn't understand that. Again, they could not comprehend the spiritual things that Jesus was talking about and the spiritual things that he was saying. They said, did someone else bring him some food as he eats some from, the, uh, from someone else's table or what? What went on? But Jesus said, my meat, my food is to do the will of the Father. Uh, I sort of count that as soul food, don't you? Because that's the spiritual food that keeps us going and certainly that keeps us alive. The disciples had a limited vision of the things of the kingdom. Let me ask us something today. And I believe that the Lord has spoken this sermon to my spirit and to my heart to challenge the church to get a real good insight into uh, the reaching out to other people and the saving of the lost souls, which uh, we see very little now of, especially here at this church. And my desire is that God will speak to us and challenge us and move us by His Holy Spirit to reach out and touch the lives of others. In John chapter 4 
verse 35, Jesus said, Don't say that there are still four months. Now, when you look at this, you'll find that he's speaking to them in the month of December. And in their mind, in the natural, there were four months before the harvest was to be brought in. There's four months, and then comes the harvest. Jesus said, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white to harvest. If you know anything about wheat, you know it has a golden glow to it. It's a we see beautiful fields. In fact, going down Coal Mill Road often, they plant wheat there, and we see the, the golden wheat that they can harvest. But if the wheat is left too long, there it begins to turn white and fall to the ground. Jesus is saying there is an urgency for us to be about our Father's business because already the harvest is ready to wheat, to reap. Now, let me ask you something. What was the time that Jesus lived in? Was it, was it about like today? There was, there was evil. There certainly was the opposition to him because many people did not believe. They eventually, of course, had him killed. Yet Jesus is saying, lift up your head because the harvest is ready for us to reap. I believe that what Jesus was saying was that as this woman goes into the city and she begins to tell other people about what Jesus has done for her, twice in this fourth chapter, it says that many came out to see this man that had changed this woman. I believe one of the greatest tools that you and I can have as Christians to get the gospel to the unsaved is our own testimony. Believing that Christ has transformed us and the same Christ that transformed us can transform others. And Jesus is saying, don't hesitate. Don't put it off. There is an urgency about winning the lost. And I pray, God, as I've already said, that God would stir my heart, stir our heart, that he would win the souls that are around us. Some people say, oh, there's no rush. We don't, we don't need, to, we don't need to, to, to hurry. God help us to see that souls are dying and going to hell every day. Help me to see that the only hands that Jesus has are my hands and your hands. The only voice that Jesus has is my voice and your voice. We need to lift up our eyes. And I believe that they were coming out by the droves to where Jesus was at Jacob's well. And he's telling his disciples, which they're thinking about the natural food. Jesus is thinking about the spiritual food. He says, guys, get your eyes off the natural. Let's look at the spiritual side. Let's look at what's happening in the spirit world today. If we're not careful, we become so carnal that we don't realize what's happening around us. The demonic activity, satanic rule that's trying to destroy lives. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You and I know why the devil came. He came that he might destroy people's lives, to steal, to kill, and to destroy So I want to be able to open my spiritual eyes and see what's happening 
around me today. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He wants us to see the world's people as he sees them. And you know what? We have an opportunity today. I don't want to let it slip to you. I want to take advantage of it. And I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm believing you to save some soul today. Believe in God to save them. The urgency of the command of Jesus Christ. Notice Roman numeral number four. Qualified workers. The laborers must be motivated by compassion. As we look again at Matthew, it says, But when he saw the multitudes... When we see the number of people today, no matter where we are, when we're at the grocery store, when we're at an activity, sports arena, when uh, we are at work, how do we see the multitude? How do we see people? Do we see people we don't like? Do we see people that aggravates us and that turns us off, so to speak? But listen, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. Notice the condition of these people. They were scattered. They were like sheep that have no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, let that resonate with us today. Let that resonate today. If we're not careful, we fail to witness for the Lord because we're not, we're not really sure that the harvest is ready. But I believe that God's Holy Spirit goes before us today. If we'll pray and we'll believe God as we go forth out of this church, as we go forth this coming week, I believe that we'll step out and say something to someone about the kingdom in some way. Now, we need to, as we're given our testimony... You know, Paul, six times, the Apostle Paul gave his testimony of how on the way to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ. As we give our testimony, we need to, we need to think, how is this unbeliever, what is this person thinking? And ask God to direct us to be able to witness to them that they may see Jesus Christ and turn to him, accept him as their personal Savior. There, the harvest is ripe. The laborers must be motivated by compassion. Jesus places three, notice this, responsibilities on the shoulders of his people. First of all, you and I must visualize. I pray to God today, help me to see. Help me to visualize people. Help me to see them in their hurts. You know, Jesus prayed for the blind man, and the Bible says when he prayed for him, he saw men as trees. Do I see men as trees? Do I see men as objects or do I see people like that's made in the very image of God that Jesus Christ died for, that he loves them? How do I see them? See the harvest. The harvest is ready to be gleaned. You might say, but pastor, you don't know the times that we're living in. You don't know the people I have to deal with. They're so, they're so carnal-minded. They're not thinking about God, and, and they're so hard. Christianity's having such a hard time. Oh, no, if we pray and believe God, God will melt hearts down before we get there. He's already planning it. He's already working in that person's life. And God help us. 
First of all, we visualize. Then we agonize. That's where the groundwork is done. Is my heart broken? Do I weep for my loved ones? Do I pray for them as I should? Do I pray and weep? And is my heart broken over the co-worker that I work with? Do I really care? Am I really concerned? Boy, I'll tell you, God has to kick me on my shin so many times and say, Hey, you, your eyes need to be open. You need to see people as I see them. Jesus looked with compassion. That compassion not only will cause us to go, not only drive us out there to where the unsaved are, that compassion sustains us. A desire deep down inside to see people saved, to see the unbeliever come to Jesus Christ. First of all, we must visualize. Second of all, we must uh, agonize. Then we must evangelize. It's not good enough. Just listen. It's not good enough to pray or just pray. It's not good enough to see, see those hurting people. We need to get out and tell people about none other than Jesus Christ. This is a time to believe for a harvest. Number four, if Christ declares the harvest is ready, we must believe it and act on it. That's not some preacher saying the harvest is ready. This is Jesus himself telling us today the harvest is ready. I don't know, brother. I don't know. You don't know where I work. You don't know my coworkers. You don't don't know my loved ones. You don't know how to be. I'm telling you, God works when we don't even realize it. He's working. Go out and plant seed. Amen? Go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the upheaval and turmoil, I hear Jesus' words say, the fields are white on the harvest. May this week be a week where we will say something to someone about Jesus Christ and witness for the Lord. I want to tell you a story of two men. It's a very interesting story. Back in 1960, I began work at a, at a company here in Durham. And I worked there for eight years. And then God called us to pastor a church. While I was working there, in fact, uh, this came up this, this very week. Uh, I was uh, Tuesday at the Durham Ministers in Prayer. And uh, John Blake, which is heads up the CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship. John Blake came up to me and said, I want to I tell you something. He said, I was at Ed Smith's funeral this uh, few days ago. And uh, the pastor that preached his funeral was Greg Allison. And most of us, or many of us, know Greg, Greg Allison. He pastors uh, Bible Baptist Church out on 85. And he said, I was at, uh, at I knew Ed for, for many years, John was telling me. And he said, uh, while, while Greg was preaching this sermon, he said, uh, I want to tell you the story about Ed Smith. Uh, Ed's older than, uh, he was older than I am, so he's way up in years. And, uh, and uh, Greg was telling this story. He said, there was uh, a man, a pastor, a minister, and he pastors a charismatic church. If you know anything about Bible Baptists and Greg, they're, they're really Baptist. And, uh, but he and I have had a good relationship for many years. In fact, uh, he's not been pastoring as long as I have. But uh, I knew his, uh, his former pastor, 
Garland Jacobs. You, shake, you remember him, Denny? Brother Morris, I know you do. Garland Jacobs. In fact, Carol's dad was on WTIK radio station, and Garland Jacobs, he and Garland Jacobs was on about the same time. And so they had a relationship. So, so this goes way back. And so as he's preaching this funeral, preaching the funeral of Ed Smith, he says, and this man, which is a charismatic pastor, witnessed to Ed Smith. And this has been over 50 years ago. Ed, Ed related this story to me. There was hardly a day that went by as I worked, as he and I worked together, that if the opportunity arose that I wouldn't say something to him about Jesus Christ. He got so angry at me. And, and in fact, uh, they, this story's told. He said, if Don Westbrook comes to me one more time and says one thing about this man, Jesus, I'm going to kill him. Now, this was said at the funeral. So I'm going to kill him. But he wouldn't give up. He kept telling others. He kept telling Ed about Jesus Christ. And one day, Ed Smith accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Fifty years later, I hear word at his funeral. And, and, and uh, he said that this man is, is a believer because, he witnessed, because Don Westbrook witnessed to him and wouldn't give up on him. Fifty years, over 50 years later. You don't ever know when you're witnessing to that coworker. You don't ever know when you're letting your light shine, when somebody's looking at you, when, when somebody that's hurting and that really needs to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. You may think, well, they just didn't receive me. He was hard. He didn't want me to talk to him. He wanted to hurt me. And yet I continue to witness and the man's in heaven today because of the love of Jesus Christ. That's the story of Ed Smith. I'll tell you the story of one more man. His name was Norman Canada. Norman and I worked together also 50 years ago, well over 50 years ago. In fact, Norman and I worked closer together than, than Ed and I. And uh, I would witness to Norman. Norman was a big fellow. I was weighed about 115 pounds soaking wet. And one day he looked at me. He got so angry at me. He said, I'm going to take you. I wish I would had Terry with me then. He wouldn't have said that probably. But uh, he, said, he said, I'm going to take you to the start room, and I'm going to mop up the floor with you. He could have done it. But I said to myself, I don't care what you say or what you do. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. And every opportunity I got, I talked to Norman about Christ. Gave him my testimony, how the Lord saved me, what the Lord had done in my life and had changed my life. That's all you need to do, folks. You don't, you don't need to, to read a ream of Scripture and, and, and all. Just, just tell, tell them what God's done for you. God called me to preach in 1969. I started pastoring this church. And uh, years later, I got a call. And on the other end of the line, it was Norman Canada. He said, he said, Don, could I talk to you? He said, would you come and see me? I said, I will. I'll be glad to come, Norman. I went way out in the country. He lived way out in the country. He said, Don, I'm, I'm dying with cancer. And I want you to preach my funeral. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. 
and I know, the, I know the Lord. It wasn't long after that that Norman's wife called me, and I, was, I had the privilege of preaching this man's funeral, knowing that he had accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Years later, years later, by the way, I was, uh, I was talking with the pastor yesterday uh, from Bible Baptist, and he was telling me, he said, I, I knew Norman Canada. I said, Greg, you knew Norman Canada? He said, yeah, I used to work where you work. The same company, not the same store. He said, I knew Norman Canada. And I said, well, let me tell you this about Norman. I said, years later, I was in the fellowship hall here. We were just built, built this fellowship hall. We, didn't, we, we had not built the sanctuary. And there was a young man that came through the door, and he came where I was working, and I forget now what I was doing, but he came up to me. He said, you don't know me, but uh, I want to tell you who I am. I'm Norman Canada's son. And he said, I want to thank you for witnessing to my dad. And I think he lived in Texas. He said, I am now called to be a minister of the gospel. And he was preaching God's word. You never know when you're witnessing to someone what will be the outcome. Now, this has been 50-some years ago. And out of this man that tells me he's going to whoop up on me, God saves him. He's now in heaven, and his son is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, if you will have a concern for the unsaved, and you and I will get out there and witness for the Lord, I believe that God will save 